Let's pray together and we'll dive in. God, we thank you so much for uh, this morning or a chance to gather as your people under the authority of your word. Lord, we are excited about a new year. Lord, we have many hopes and dreams of 2020. And yet, Lord, we also have uh, burdens. Lord, many of us carry hurts from 2019 into this new year. And so, guys, we gather as a church today. Lord, I pray that we would cast those burdens before you. Lord, knowing that you care for us, Lord, that you would help us not, not just to identify the anxiety in our heart, but to lay that before you and ask that you would just minister to us by your grace. Lord, I think of the invitation of Jesus this morning where he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, we desperately need the rest that only Jesus offers, and Lord, as a congregation, we confess that much of our heavy ladenness is because we are overly busy or we have so many commitments, so many demands upon our lives. And so God, as we embark on this new sermon series, would you give us wisdom to be able to apply the principles that we see in your word? God, we want to be godly followers of Jesus. So help us to um, Lord, have open hearts, open ears, or as we spend time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The normal diet, preaching diet that is, at College Park Fishers is to go through books of the Bible. We love going through uh, just books of the Bible verse by verse and allowing the Lord just to meet us there. But from time to time, two or three times a year, we'll kind of pull off to the side of the road and look at specific topics uh, that we think are important to address within the Christian life. And so our next uh, book study that we're going to look at starting in February uh, will be the book of Nehemiah. I'm super excited uh, about Nehemiah. I want to start preaching that even today, just because I know that I think the Lord's going to meet us there as he prepares us for uh, our transition into the new building. But before we look at Nehemiah, we're going to look at this topic of busyness. This might seem random or strange. Why are we spending four Sundays on this topic? Uh, but this topic is very important and hardly gets any attention as it relates to the church. In fact, there are three main reasons uh, why I want us to look at this topic. Here's the first one, is that God cares deeply about the rhythm and the pace of your life. Though the scriptures do not provide a lot of specifics about your time and maybe even your energy, there are dozens of principles and habits and rhythms that God has given his people in order for us to adapt and adopt uh, to live effective lives in following Jesus. We know and we feel on a daily basis that God has created us being these finite creatures with limitations, uh, but very rarely do we explore these rhythms, these habits that God has given us. We're new covenant Christians, and so we sometimes look at the Sabbath principle as something old school, something that's for the old covenant, and yet we're going to look at what the Sabbath principle means for us. We see different habits and rhythms uh, from the psalmists all over the psalms of spending alone time with the Lord and his word and every morning and every evening. We see these wise sayings and warnings in the Proverbs about working hard but also resting well. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore what these rhythms and principles look like in 2020. Second reason why we're looking at this topic is because busyness is pervasive. We live in a fast-paced society that keeps getting faster and faster. 
which means the temptation for us is to live busier and busier lives. You probably have noticed this. You probably have picked up on the, the default response when you ask somebody, how are they? They typically say, I'm busy. I'm super busy. I'm slammed at work, right? And if you catch on to it, it's almost this boast that's disguised as a complaint. And the response to that is almost to congratulate them. It's almost to say, wow, like, that's a good problem to have, or it's better than the opposite. See, busyness in our culture has become almost this new desired status. It's like this badge of honor. It's almost like a a virtue in today's world. There's this uh, unspoken cultural value, if you can kind of pick up on it in our society, that a busy life is an important life, that we sometimes can find our worth in having packed out schedules. There's this cultural pull, if you will, uh, to become as busy as possible because the more active you are, uh, the more valuable you are as a person. And because our culture is one of imitation and even comparison, thanks to social media, we're always tempted to keep up with the Joneses. We look at the pace and the rhythm of another family or another individual, and we think, well, we need to keep up with them, and so we add more things to our already packed schedules. And that mindset has trickled into the church. Third reason, because of that, busyness impacts our spiritual condition. The great pastor Adrian Rogers, who said, if Satan can't make you bad, he will make you busy. I think that's so true. In fact, I I would probably take that a step further and say right now, one of the greatest but sneakiest dangers to your relationship with God is busyness, and yet it hardly gets any attention as it relates uh, to inside the walls of the church. And sometimes that whole idea of busyness becoming this virtue in the culture that we live in has almost snuck into the church where we want to design ministries and programs and, and even uh, admittedly get you guys so busy doing good church stuff that it's starting to impact our relationships with the Lord. And some of us feel it. Like some of you, you you've picked up on the pace and the demands and, and the packed out schedules. You're, you're noticing that those things, they're, they're doing something to your soul, but you can't quite put your finger on it. Or maybe you may not know exactly what to do with the busyness. But then there's others of us where you might be completely unaware of the effects that busyness has on your soul. It's like a fish not knowing that it's wet. You may not know uh, the, the cultural waters that you swim in and the dangers that it's putting on your relationship with God. Well, I've showed this picture before, um, but I want to show it again because I think it just visually communicates how so many of us feel. Um, this is from Dr. Seuss's book, The Cat in the Hat. And this is exactly how so many of us feel, your pastor included. And this is obviously the cat in the hat who's trying to, you know, juggle so many things. He's balancing and bouncing on one foot on that ball. And, and I just wonder, does this how your life, does this how your life feel sometimes? Like, like having so many plates spinning in the air, juggling so many things You're barely just holding on, keeping everything together. I wonder, even if you're a student, if you feel this way, where you're trying to juggle classes and friendships and extracurricular activities, or maybe you're a young parent and you're trying to figure out parenthood and you're not 
sleeping as much, and you've got an endless amount of bottles to clean and, and diapers to change. Maybe you're a parent of teenagers, and you're trying to help your, your child or your children kind of navigate through the complexities of, uh, of teenage life while trying to disciple them. Or maybe you're an employee, and you're trying to work out, you know, this work-life balance. You're trying to be a good employee, a, a good spouse, a good parent, a good church member, and you feel like it's impossible to do all of those things at once. Or maybe you're a retiree, and you're trying to figure out your new purpose in this season of life. You're trying to leave a, a godly legacy for your kids and your grandkids, and, and yet you feel pulled in a million different directions. Look, this picture resonates with us because it is us. The, the whole, uh, you know, kind of keeping all the plates spinning in the air. You need to know that 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 type of living is impacting your soul. It's impacting your relationship with the Lord, whether you know it or not. I remember my first year here at College Park Fishers, uh, almost five years ago, I had my uh, end-of-year evaluation with Pastor Mark Brogop. He's the lead pastor at the main campus at College Park Church. And he was asking me how the first year went. And I just said, man, I just feel like I'm so busy. You know, we're trying to get the church going, and there's so many things to do, so many people to connect with. And, you know, we're trying to talk through how to, how to handle that and, and what that means as a pastor, trying to lead a church, and yet you're so busy. And he said something to me that I'm never going to forget. He said, Chris, you do realize that College Park Fishers, they can get a new pastor, right? Like, you understand that. And I said, yeah. And he goes, but your wife cannot get a new husband. Like, your kids cannot get a new father. Like, the best thing that you can do for your church, for your family, is to be the most godly man possible, to make sure that your schedule and the rhythm of your life is, is healthy and, and allows you to flourish as a follower of Jesus. And I feel like I'm on, like, this personal journey of trying to, to figure out what this means to, to follow the rhythms that we see in Jesus' life while also working hard and being faithful to the mission that God has given me. And so this sermon series is, is a lot, of, it's coming out of, of my own stuff. It's coming out of, I think, my own failures as a follower of Jesus, my own kind of temptations, putting my identity and worth in, in what I achieve as a man. And so some of this is, is still fairly fresh of things that I'm, that I'm learning. And so this sermon series it's really just a chance for us to ask some really specific questions that we don't have time to ask or that busyness doesn't allow us to ask. I want us to look at questions of what is the impact that busyness has on our soul? And furthermore, what's, what's driving our busyness? What's underneath the busyness that's, that's kind of almost forcing us to live these lives where we have so many demands and our schedules are so packed? And then thirdly, we're going to look at um, what the solution could be. What's, what's the, the better way? What's the Jesus way in moving forward? See, I really believe if we don't stop and ask those questions, if we don't analyze what the busyness of our own lives, our church culture, and even the culture that we live in, then eventually, sooner or later, our lives are, are going to look like this. And kind of forgive the cliche, but that's, that's how your life is going to end up. That if you continue living an overly busy life, you're not going to be able to keep all the plates spinning in the air and something is going to give. And what tends to give first is our own relationships with the Lord. 
And so before we uh, get into uh, the specifics of, of this series, I'm just kind of setting up the series this morning, but maybe you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, Pastor, like, I hear what you're saying, but it's just not me. Like, I don't, I don't really feel that busy. I feel like I've got a good pace. I feel like a, I've got a good rhythm in my life. And, and look, like, praise God for that. That very well may be the case. And, and I salute you. I would love to, to read your book that you have on, on how to do that in today's culture. Um, but I'd also maybe push back on that a little bit and just ask you the question, are, are you sure about that? Like, are you sure that you're really not overly busy where it's negatively impacting your soul? And I ask that because one of the things that comes with busyness is blindness. One of the things that busyness does to us is it doesn't allow us to stop and to analyze how we're really doing underneath the surface. Busyness, when we get stuck in that busy trap, it wants us to just keep going. Don't spend any time pulling off to the side of the road and looking under the hood. You've got things to do. Your purpose is connected to what you achieve and what you produce. Just keep moving along. And so before we kind of move into Mark chapter 1 today, I want to do kind of uh, almost a time of asking some diagnostic questions um, just to see how you're really doing with busyness. A lot of these questions come from uh, Tim Chester's book titled The Busy Christian's Guide to busyness, which I highly, highly recommend if you want more material on this topic. So let's see how busy you are. Now, question number one, do you, this kind of hits right in the chest, but do you check work emails and phone messages at home? Question two, has anyone ever said to you, I didn't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are? Question three, do your family or friends complain about not getting time with you? Another question, do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? Guilty there. Uh, Next question, do you pray with your children regularly outside of meals? Do you have enough time to pray? Do you have a hobby in which you are actively involved? Do you eat together as a family or household at least once a day? Do you take all of your vacation days each year? How'd you do? You're busy, aren't you? You're probably more busy than what you often realize. But I want you to hear something this morning. Busyness does not automatically mean that you're a failure. Busyness does not automatically mean that you are being unfaithful or unfruitful, nor does busyness mean that you are automatically faithful or fruitful. Busyness means that you're busy, just like everyone else including Jesus Christ himself when he was on the earth. Let's look at the pace and the rhythm of Jesus, of what we see in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Mark, I think what he's doing in this, uh, in this passage here, these few verses, I think he's giving us a snapshot of the life and the public ministry of Jesus. This passage is often used for kind of a call to prayer. And it certainly is that, but I think it's much more than that. I think what Mark is doing for us is he's showing us the rhythm of Jesus. He's showing us how Jesus dealt with the busyness and the demands of his life. Before we get into the specifics of these verses, let's maybe take a a step back, zoom out a little bit, and look at chapter one of Mark, and let's just notice the pace and the rhythm of Jesus' life. 
where we see in the beginning here, after the, the baptism of Jesus, um, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life just begins to take off. He immediately gets uh, tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And from there, he comes and he immediately starts proclaiming the gospel of God. Then from there, he begins to call his first disciples. And then he does some more teaching. Then he um, heals someone from an unclean spirit. He heals some more people. He does some more teaching. He heals the mother-in-law of Peter himself. And then you get to verse 33 of chapter 1, and it says that the whole city of Capernaum was gathering just outside the door where Jesus was staying. These people have uh, all kinds of needs and wants from Jesus. They're all wanting something from him, all demanding something from him. That the city here has brought before Jesus individuals that need to be healed. They needed demons to be casted out. But they all need time and energy and resources from Jesus. You get to verse 34, and we see that Jesus healed many who were there. And this is the whole city of Capernaum. This doesn't, wasn't just a few people. I think Mark is beginning, uh, beginning to show us the, the pace and the rhythm of Jesus. In fact, one of the most commonly used words in Mark's gospel is the word immediately. Immediately is a Greek word that, um, that shows up over 59 different times throughout the New Testament. But 41 of the 59 occurrences shows up in Mark's gospel in particular. Mark's gospel only has 16 chapters in it. And yet Mark is describing the pace of Jesus's life. Immediately, Jesus did this. Immediately, Jesus did that. Immediately, Jesus taught. Immediately, Jesus healed. Mark is describing this rhythm of Jesus as being fast-paced. Jesus lived a full, a busy, a demanding life. You even get to Mark chapter 3, and Jesus was so busy, he didn't even have time to eat. And so his family thought that he was going crazy. So I bring that up to us this morning, because sometimes we look at the life of Jesus and, and we kind of think that he was just in chill mode most of the time, that he was just laid back, kind of, you know, sitting, hanging out with his disciples, sipping on lattes, just kind of talking about, you know, life. Or, or we kind of think that Jesus only did the things that are recorded in the Gospels. And we know that's not true from the end of John's Gospel. John wrote that there were many more things that Jesus said and did and if we recorded them, even the whole world could not contain them, right? Jesus did so much more than what Matthew, Mark, and Luke present us with. In fact, when you read the Gospels, it almost presents Jesus as daily teaching and daily healing people, doing miracles, and conversing with them. In fact, if Jesus lived today, he would be just as busy as you and me. In fact, he probably would be even more busy. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this this morning because when we look at the topic of busyness, you need to know that Jesus can sympathize with that struggle. You need to know that Jesus knows all about what it's like to being busy and to having all of the demands of life piling on you day in and day out. And yet Jesus not only can sympathize with this struggle, Jesus provides a better way. Jesus helps us by, by just looking at the rhythm of his life, of figuring out how do we manage the busyness in our life? 
How do we live in it in such a way where it doesn't negatively impact our souls? And I think we start to see the beginning of that in verses 35 through 39. A couple of things I want to point out in these verses here. Again, as I just lay the foundation of this sermon series, the first thing to point out is that verse 35 comes directly after verse 34. I know it's deeply profound. They, they teach you that in seminary. But it's important because of what Jesus just got done doing in verses 32 through 34. Remember, the whole city has come, brought all of these people for Jesus to heal them, and it says that all night Jesus is ministering to them. Jesus spends a whole evening in draining, busy, kind of demanding ministry. And then you get to verse 35, and instead of Jesus going and taking a vacation, instead of Jesus going and and maybe sleeping in. Verse 35 tells us that he got up early in the morning and he went to a private place to pray. It's so important in the the hustle and bustle of, of, of ministry and demands and busyness, Jesus regularly just pressed pause and got away with the Father. This is a crucial, crucial rhythm of the Lord Jesus that we're going to learn more in coming weeks, but you need to know that Jesus did this all the time. In fact, the word prayer shows up over 46 different times throughout the Gospels. This is referencing Jesus either praying uh, himself or teaching on the importance of prayer. And it wasn't just when he had downtime. It wasn't just when he was just sitting back and relaxing. Matthew chapter 14, we we learn that Jesus is is feeding the 5,000 which is more like 20 or 25,000 if you include women and children, spend all day teaching them and, and spending time with them, miraculously feeding them. Verse 23 tells us that after that, he sent the crowds away and he got away in private to pray. And we see Jesus doing the same thing in verse 35. But notice what happens after that. And this is where we can so relate with Jesus. As Jesus is alone, as he's praying, as he's recharging his batteries, he gets interrupted. Good old Peter and some other people, they they come to Jesus, they're looking for him, and they eventually find Jesus. And in verse 37, Peter says, everyone is looking for you. This phrase is, is also pretty frequent in Mark's 16 chapters. It's used 10 different times, all with a negative connotation. Jesus Everyone is looking for you. That is code for, hey, Jesus, you're on the clock. Stop resting. Get back to work, right? Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone has something that they want from you. That Peter comes to Jesus in the middle of Jesus trying to recharge and trying to connect with the Father, and there are more demands that are put on Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. Isn't your life feel like that sometimes? Everyone is looking for you. Hey, mommy, my, I, I need my lunch made right now. Drop everything that you're doing or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start World War III right now. Everyone is looking for you. Or hey, daddy, can you drive me to my friend's house? Stop whatever you're doing. Drive me to my friend's house. You know, dishes need to be cleaned. Bills need to be paid. The house needs to be put back. Maybe you get an email from your boss with this huge project that was supposed to be due in two weeks. It's now due tomorrow. 
Maybe you get an email from somebody who wants to set up yet another meeting with you, even though your schedule is packed. Like, everyone is looking for you. Like, you need to know that Jesus can relate to that. Jesus knows what it's like being pulled in a million different directions, having so many expectations put on you, having so many people kind of drain energy from you. Everyone is looking for you. But then notice verse 38. This took me um, by surprise. Because verse 37 happens, everyone is looking for you. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus essentially says in verse 38, let's go on and do more work in a different town, right? And that's exactly what they do in verse 39. They go all over Galilee. They're, They're teaching. He's teaching and he's healing different people. But that's not the response I expected from Jesus. Like, why go and do more work? Why is that the answer to after a night of draining ministry? Isn't the answer to busyness to go on a vacation? And yet Jesus doesn't do this here. In fact, this is, this is something I think Mark is trying to bring out for us because the way that Jesus begins his public ministry, he's hitting the floor running. This is a dead sprint. Verse 33 and 34, this, this draining night of ministry he, is, he responds to that by, instead of sleeping in, in verse 35, getting up early and spending time with the Father. But even that is interrupted by Peter, who has more demands on Jesus. But Jesus' response is not no, and it's not yes. Jesus doesn't say, no, we're going to go take a vacation, but it's not yes, we're going to continue doing work in Capernaum. No, Jesus' response is a third way. Jesus doesn't say, let's continue to do more work. Jesus says, let's do a different kind of work. Let's do a work that has the highest priority. See, Jesus is demonstrating for us the difference between the urgent and the important. Jesus knew full well the difference between all of the good things that he could do from all of the things that he ought to do. And I think in that, we see Jesus, who is practicing right before us, having the right priorities and and the ability to choose yes and to choose no in a wisely manner. Jesus knew that saying yes to one thing was saying no to something else. And I think so much of our unhealthy busyness is because we confuse the urgent with the important. So much of our busyness that is draining our souls, that is negatively impacting our lives, comes from not having the right priorities. It comes from maybe a lack of doing, verse 35 not spending time alone with God in order to reorient our priorities, to to recalibrate our souls, to make sure that, that what we're investing our lives in are not just good things, but they're the best things. They're not just good things that I should do, but they're the good things, the best things that I ought to do. And that only comes by spending alone time with God. And Jesus demonstrates this crucial rhythm, even in the midst of busyness and high demands. He doesn't allow the busyness to choke out what God was doing in his heart. 
And so we see this rhythm that we're going to look more at in coming weeks. But I think the other thing that we could say about Jesus is that because he's the son of God, he knew full well the dangers of busyness. Like he knew what would happen if he, if he didn't do verse 35. And so for us, as we kind of spend the next couple of minutes, I want us to look at three dangers of busyness that we need to be aware of because if this goes unchecked in our lives, then we're going to kind of fall prey to the threat of busyness in our lives. So, so three things I want to point out here about busyness. Number one is that busyness can crowd out obedience, can crowd out obedience. Look, sometimes we can be so busy, we can have so many commitments, so many items on our to-do list that there's no space or time to ask the question, God, what are you up to right now and how can I join in on what you are doing? Right? And, and don't get me wrong, I love to-do lists. Like I love getting things done. I love having commitments. And sometimes those to-do lists are a means by which we can be faithful to the Lord. But other times, I think that we can confuse the Holy Spirit with our to-do lists. Like I think sometimes we can miss opportunities that God has given us right in front of us because we are so focused on the demands over here. Let me give you an example, um, e- even from the Bible here. This is from uh, 1 Kings chapter 20, a obscure and kind of a bizarre uh, story. And th- this insight is from Kevin DeYoung's book, Crazy Busy. If you haven't read it, you need to read that even during this sermon series. But he highlights this story, and, and you probably aren't um, up to date on 1 Kings 20. So let me kind of describe what's happening here. 1 Kings 20, the king of Israel is a guy named King Ahab. Not a good king, he's a bad king. And yet the Lord is giving him military success over Syria. But he tells King Ahab, when I give you military success, you need to kill the king of Syria. God gives him military success, but he doesn't kill the king of Syria. Let's him go in exchange for money. And so he puts all of Israel in danger and dishonors the Lord. And so there was this son of a prophet, who's one of my new favorite characters in the Bible. He, he wanted to rebuke and confront the king on this, but he had an idea of how he wanted to do it. It's kind of a crazy plan. He wanted to, to dress up as a soldier who just came from battle and, and to confront the king in that manner. And so he knew he needed to play the part. And so he, he got one of his buddies and he said, hey, I need you to, to strike me in the face so that I look the part. And his buddy would not do it. He's like, I'm not going to hit you in the face. And, and the, the son of a prophet's like, no, no, God's telling you to do this. And the guy still refused. And so uh, his life ends by being eaten by a lion. Okay, crazy story. I know it's very strange. So he eventually finds another guy. And this guy says, yes, he, he strikes him in the face. And so finally he looks the part, right? He looks like this guy. He's dressed up, looks like someone who just came back from battle, approaches King Ahab, And he says to the king, look, I've got something very important to tell you. I just came from battle, but I have to confess something to you. When I was on battle, there was a fellow soldier who brought me this guy. And he told me, your role is to guard and and to keep track of this man. Do not let this man out of your sight. And so this guy is telling King Ahab this. And he goes, I have to confess something to you, though. I got distracted with things, and this man left He was set free, and it was all my fault. He says this. He confesses it to King Ahab. King Ahab is furious, 
and says, because of what you have done, you will surely die. And it's at that moment where the, the mic drop is about to happen, this son of a prophet takes off his disguise, reveals his true identity, and confronts King Ahab and says, no, it's you who's going to die because you did the very same thing letting the king of Syria go. Now, kind of a strange story, very bizarre. You're probably not reading it in your own devotions every day. But there is this verse in there that I think describes exactly the danger of busyness as it relates to our obedience. This is, comes from uh, chapter 20, verse 40. This is the son of a prophet who tells the king why he let the man go. He says to him that, and as your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. In other words, he was, he was caught up with other things. He was preoccupied. He was distracted. And so it hindered his ability to being faithful and to being obedient in the role that he was given. I thought about that and I was like, man, that's so true of my own life. I know it's probably true of, of your own life where we can get so busy and distracted that the opportunity to obey God is gone. And the problem with this, that, that busyness presents itself, is that it, it, it threatens our ability to prioritize the things that we ought to do from the things that we can do. That so often the things that are keeping us busy are not bad things. There, there may be good things that we haven't prioritized. And because we're so busy, we miss opportunities that God is putting before us that he wants us to walk in and to fulfill. I just wonder how many moments of pain and trial are wasted because we never sat still enough to learn from them. I wonder how many times of, of personal devotion, even maybe family devotions, are, are crowded out because of, of packed out schedules and, and overcommitments. I wonder how many opportunities to, to serve others or to, to love somebody, to do good, we just miss because we're preoccupied with other things. We're too busy to see those opportunities in front of our face. I wonder how many Sundays go by and, and God's trying to do a powerful work in our hearts and our lives, and yet our minds wander to responsibilities we have later today or later this week. See, again, the, the things that keep us busy may not be bad things. Sometimes they are. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are they the best things that God wants us to be doing? I just wonder, if you, if you compared your schedule with a, a non-Christian schedule who's in the same stage of life as you, I wonder, would there be any difference between your schedules if you take out church on Sunday morning? Would there be any differences in, in the rhythm and the pace and, and how many commitments you're a part of and, and, and your schedule? Are, are there things that would, that would identify you as a follower of Jesus because of the way that you're living your life compared to a non-Christian. See, one of the things that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is that as followers of Jesus, he wants us to have godly habits. He wants us to have an eternal perspective and have these rhythms that look drastically different from the world. He wants us to have a type of, of pace that doesn't choke out opportunities to obey, but it allows obedience to flourish in our lives day in and day out.
And so beware of busyness in crowding out your obedience. Secondly here, the, the second, I think, threat of busyness is that it can distract us from tending to our own souls. One of the greatest dangers of busyness is that there may be even greater problems, even greater dangers in your own life that you don't have any time to consider. Do you think about it for a moment? The, the very presence of extreme busyness may, excuse me, may actually point to even greater problems going on in your heart that you don't have time to actually look in and to dissect, <clears throat> that you might have problems going on in your own heart and your own life, like a, perf- a pervasive people-pleasing problem or kind of mindless ambition or, or this never-ending cycle of meaninglessness, like something that's underneath your busyness But because you're so busy, you don't have time to kind of look under the the surface and actually address. Look, we know that to growing spiritually, there are no shortcuts. It takes unhurried time with the Lord and his word. And yet being so busy, moving from one thing to the next, leaves our souls unattended. I mean, if you just think about this for a moment, think about the question that you get asked multiple times a day by people, the question of how are you doing, right? We get asked that question so often, and our knee-jerk response is to either automatically say good or busy, right? And sometimes, like, that's true. We, we are good. We're doing fine, right? Or, or, or we are overly busy, right? And so that's our response. Sometimes we just want to get out of the conversation and move on, right? You don't want to bare your soul. But sometimes we just kind of have those knee-jerk responses because we haven't had the time to actually consider how we're really doing. How is uh, your soul? How is your relationship with God? To actually ponder that, to, to look beneath the surface at what's going on in the deep places of your heart. Busyness won't allow you to do that. And sometimes we're, we're that way because we confuse busyness with faithfulness. We think if we are active and doing things, even religious church things, then we're good. Then we're doing exactly what God wants us to be doing. Or even to consider that if we're so busy, we might be busy because we're afraid of what's going on deep inside of our hearts. Like sometimes we just want to keep moving at a fast pace because if we slow down, we're going to have to actually address the hurt that's in our hearts. That if we have to slow down and look inside at our hearts, we're going to have to address the sin that's in there. We're going to have to address the the anxiety or the fear, the the stuff in our lives. See, being busy is almost this this defense mechanism just to keep going. Keep, Keep going from one thing to the next because if you slow down, you're going to have to address the issues in your heart. There's a, an article in the New York Times a few years ago called The Busy Trap by Tim Kreider, who has great insight on how we can use busyness in this way. He says that busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance. It's a, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. And it's almost always people whose, whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily, classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. 
They're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety. And because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence. So it's deep. That's, I mean, that's getting underneath the surface. And we may not even know that we're using busyness in this way, but we'll throw ourselves into a type of, of pace to cover up the void and the emptiness or the hurt that's in our hearts. And what this leads to, oftentimes, is having kind of a, a, an identity crisis or maybe adopting a false identity. Because the question of who are you, the identity question, who are you, is a question that a busy person never has the time to ask or answer. And so what happens to just these chronically busy people is they want to have an identity, they want to answer that question, and so they subconsciously answer the identity question of who are you by pointing to their work. That my identity, my purpose, my worth, all of those things are intimately connected to what I produce, to what I achieve, to what I work in, what I present to others. And busyness all the while just fools us into thinking that we're not human beings, but we're human doings. That who we actually are is what we invest our time and our hands in. And that mindset is, is an anti-biblical, anti-gospel type of mindset if your identity is truly in Christ and what Jesus has done for you on the cross at Calvary. And, and the consequences of, of this is that our souls get thinned out and yet our bodies are exhausted. You feel like that sometimes? Like you feel like you don't, don't have the energy to give the Lord anything because of what we're investing in with our schedules and with our times, and our souls go largely unattended. It's a big challenge and a threat of busyness. Thirdly, the last thing here that I'll point out is that <clears throat> busyness can lead to isolation. It can lead to isolation. Socrates, who said, beware the barrenness of a busy life. Right? The barrenness of someone who lives a busy life is, is this void, this absence of deep, meaningful relationships. If you're a busy person, it's not that you hate people, it's not that you don't have any friendships, but you might struggle with having deep, meaningful friendships and relationships. And the reason for that is because deep, meaningful friendships are inefficient. They're time-sucking. They, they're unpredictable, right? We've got all of these demands, and so people and the messiness of people can disrupt that. And even the hard part comes when, when you are with people it's, it's a challenge to actually be with people. You know what I mean by that? It's, it's hard to actually be present with people, undistracted, right? We've got our phones and we're constantly being inundated 24-7 with all kinds of things from technology. Sometimes when we're actually with people, we're not really with people. Let me give you some stats from the Google report, Micro Moments, as it relates to our relationship with our phone. It says, on average, people check their phones 150 times a day. And on average, they spend 177 minutes on them. 87% of people always have their phones on them day and night. Almost 70% of people check their phones within 15 minutes of waking up. 37% of adults say it's simply unrealistic to unplug for more than a few hours at a time. 
Look, so when you take this combination of, of distraction plus busyness, it can make us lonely, isolated people, even while being surrounded by others. And look, that is a, not a good equation for trying to thrive spiritually. That if you're on an island relationally, if you're trying to be kind of this lone ranger Christian, makes it easier for the enemy to set up traps and to pull you into sin. God has created us for community to help us flourish. Well, there's a lot more uh, to say about the dangers of busyness, but I just want to leave us with really the main takeaway of today. The main takeaway, I just want you to be convinced of the dangers and the threats that busyness presents to your own soul. I want you to be so convinced of that that you're starting to ask the question, how is busyness impacting me spiritually? And then just to open yourself up to, to trying to, to maybe root out some things, create more margin in your life, and to take on the rhythm that we see Jesus displaying throughout the Gospels. And so as we close today, I actually want us to practice just that, that one of the best ways to combat an unhealthy busyness is to be still before the Lord, is just to sit and to converse with him in a worshipful reflection type manner. In fact, if you're uh, still kind of coming up with uh, New Year's resolutions for 2020, just want to challenge you to, to daily take 10 minutes just to stop and reflect with the Lord. Could be early in the morning when you wake up, could be late at night before you go to bed, could be while the kids are you know, during nap time or, or maybe uh, you know, over your lunch break, just to take 10 minutes to stop and reflect and do some spiritual warfare against busyness that wants to distract you. And in fact, Dustin came up with some of these really good questions, these, just these daily reflection questions that I want you to take a picture of or, or write these down. And I want you to, to use these on a daily occurrence, just 10, 15 minutes where you can stop and reflect with the Lord and practice this rhythm to combat the busyness. In fact, we're actually gonna, um, we're actually gonna practice this right now. The band's gonna come and play one last song. I just want you to, to sit, be still. If some of the lyrics you wanna kind of listen to, you can. But to look at these six questions and, and just to pick two or three of them and to just sit and reflect with the Lord. Let's pray and do just that. God, we thank you so much for the life of Christ. We thank you that Jesus not only died to save us, but he lived a perfect life modeling what to do with busyness and the demands of life. God, we thank you that even Jesus got alone with you. Even Jesus was committed to a life of prayer. God, we so desperately need that, not so that we can check it off our box of things to do, but because it is spiritual warfare. It is a, a means by which we can combat the busyness that, that we find ourselves in. So God, would you help us to be faithful to you, even with the demands of life. Lord, help us to, to sense your presence, to make sure that we're not living on our own strength, but on yours. We, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.